I'm Dorothy Wickenden. On today's Politics and More podcast, The New Yorker's Masha Gessen talks with the scholar and gay rights activist Evgeny Storn. Storn was born in Kazakhstan and was living in Russia when the Putin government began cracking down on the emerging queer rights movement. Under threat from Russian intelligence, he fled to Ireland, where Masha traveled to meet him. Sometimes. I was walking with Yevgeny Storn in Galway, which is a coastal city in Ireland. Um, this is early May, and um, I had first heard of Yevgeny a couple of years ago when some friends let me know that he was looking for help trying to get out of Russia. Something horrible was happening to him. I got some more details later. Um, Zhenya, can you start by talking about how you ended up in Ireland. I think the story starts in St. Petersburg. No, the story starts in the Soviet Union in 1983, when I was born, in Kazakh Soviet Socialist Republic. Yevgeny was born in Kazakhstan, when it was still part of the Soviet Union. When he was a teenager, there was a recruiting push for young Russian speakers from Kazakhstan to go study in Russia, and he did. And that's also when he came out. I, I was practicing same sex in school with boys, but I wasn't gay man at that moment. So it just when I moved to St. Petersburg, when I first went to 69 nightclub, and another one which I liked more was Griešniki, uh, Sinners. <laughs> uh, so yeah, when I uh, that was a very moment when I just realize that this is my culture, this is my music, this is my style, this is where I feel comfortable and I really feel part of it. How old were you? 17, 18. Oh, so right as soon as you got to St. Petersburg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't yet an identity, let's say. This is something that I didn't have in Kazakhstan, obviously. I was thinking I'm the only one there. Well, except for, the, except for the other boys. I think they also were thinking they're the only one. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. In St. Petersburg, Evgeny met Alexander, who became his partner. He's a very um, bright person, I would say, you know, stands out and you easily identify as a person with whom you, you want to be close. So I stayed uh, overnight at his place at a certain point and never apart since then. Alexander wasn't in Ireland when I was there. We talked to him over Skype. Evgeny and Alexander had a room in a communal apartment in St. Petersburg. They also had a cat named Musa. She's like Garfield, she has a lot. So you and Alexander and Musa are living in St. Petersburg? And yeah, we were living on Vasilevsky Island in a huge comunalka. Communal so, apartment. Yeah, super terrible. <laughs> Uh, it was actually, that was part of why Musa became part of our life, because uh, when we got that room, the money was so small that we, we couldn't really find anything better. But uh, Rialto said that, well, we have m- mice, which basically means that there is no rats. So that was, that was a selling point, that yeah. we have mice. Yes. <laughs> 
yeah, if we have mice, we don't have rats. And we said, well, we, 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 we will have a cat. <laughs> and it was a funny story. You know, they have a good life in St. Petersburg. Alexandra got a PhD in sociology and started working at a nonprofit doing research on LGBT issues. This is in the mid-2000s when the gay movement in Russia is developing. It's not like Western Europe, but things are moving in the right direction. People are becoming more open and there are more spaces appearing. They're not just like community spaces and bars, but there's research, uh, there are discussion groups, there are film festivals. Things are moving along. Well, we, we were living in a, really, in a real bubble, like, you know, the NGO world. No, no one judge you for being a same-sex couple. But there's some trouble with Yevgeny's papers. Back when he became a student, he applied for his Russian passport and got it easily. Ten years later, he suddenly told that there was a problem. So Yevgeny went back to the embassy of Kazakhstan and they rescinded his citizenship as well. And suddenly he finds himself stateless. He doesn't have a passport and he doesn't have the ability to travel. It's just the kind of disabling status on an everyday level like every policeman who stops you and looks at your papers knows that something is wrong with you if you want to check in in a hotel huge issue every time they look at the papers of a stateless person and they don't understand what the status is but they definitely know that it's officially bad But Russia tells him he actually has a path to citizenship. He can stay in the country on a residency permit and apply for a passport in five years. He can't break any laws, and he's got to work. He gets a job at the same NGO as Alexander, the Center for Independent Social Research. Meanwhile, Russian politics is changing in a big way. In 2012, Vladimir Putin returns to the presidency after months of mass demonstrations. And Putin is immediately looking for a way to discredit the demonstrators. And LGBT people make the perfect scapegoat because we stand in for everything. We stand in for the West. We stand in for all the things that have changed in the last quarter century that make you uncomfortable. We also stand in for the promise of going back to an imaginary past without gay people. And of course, no Russian thinks that they've actually ever met a gay person in person. So that makes it really easy to create this image of the villainous queer people. First St. Petersburg and then the federal parliament pass a ban on what they call propaganda of homosexuality or propaganda of non-traditional sexual relations. You can't have any positive or neutral coverage of LGBT issues in any kind of media. You can't have public demonstrations but the biggest purpose of this law is to signal that there are second-class citizens in Russia outside the protection of the law. That means that hate crimes skyrocket. And Yevgeny actually decided to go back to school, and his subject of study is hate crimes against LGBT people. I was analyzing the court decisions on the murders of gay men how people were killed in Russia. And usually, like, it's normal situation where two people are drinking and then one of them is 
declaring or proposing. There's drinking, it seems like there's going to be sex, and instead there's a murder. Basically, the homophobia is in a very private spaces, and this is, was my main finding. Evgeny's finding was in direct contradiction to the state's message, which was essentially, you can do whatever you want in the privacy of your own homes, we just don't want you corrupting our children. In fact, violence was coming to people's homes. So while Putin is cracking down on LGBT people, the other attack is on NGOs. The foreign agents law requires NGOs that get foreign funding to submit to special reporting requirements. The whole thing is designed to paralyze their work and also to designate them as pariahs. And the center where Alexander and Yevgeny work ends up on the list. So here's Yevgeny, a stateless person working for a foreign agent NGO and studying LGBT issues. And he goes and applies for his Russian passport. I got a phone call. Yevgeny Mikhailovich, здравствуйте. Calling from the Migration Service. From the Migration Service. We are working with your application on citizenship. I said, what is wrong with it? No, 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 everything is okay. We just uh, would have to discuss it with you personally. Could you please come tomorrow at 10 a.m.? The man on the phone gave him an address, his name, and a phone number. But when he arrived the next day, that migration office was closed. Yevgeny called the number, and the man came down to meet him. Young, my age more or less, somehow good-looking even, well-dressed, polite. Went with him to the first floor, and it was nothing, just a camera and an ordinary door. We entered. The thing that I saw and that really impacted me was this huge portrait of Andropov. Andropov? Andropov, yeah. Andropov was the head of the KGB and uh, a hero of Putin's and a former head of the the Soviet Union. Yeah. And then he shows his knizhka. His ID. His ID. FSB ID. The FSB is the Federal Security Agency, the successor agency to the KGB. As soon as Evgeny saw the FSB ID, he knew he wasn't there to talk about a passport. The conversation with the agent lasted two hours. They talked about his master's thesis and about the murders of gay men and the work of the center. What was terrifying is mostly he was naming some people that I won't name here. He was particularly interested in certain individuals, foreigners. He he wanted you to talk about them. Yeah. The man wanted Yevgeny to agree to be an informant. Basically, his main attitude was very polite, but in a kind of very subtle, very tender way, he mentioned the law on espionage and the law of the traitor of motherland. The prison sentences are essentially life in prison. Yeah, basically, if, like my, my main goal was to at least get out of there, but also not to damage other people. 
At the end of the interview, the FSB agent asked if they could talk again. Yevgeny said, sure, basically anything to get out of there. He gets out of there, called Alexander, said everything is okay. And as soon as they got home, Yevgeny wrote on a piece of paper, FSB. Well, we're um, in the center of Galway, which is terribly touristy, terribly shoppingy. It's one of those places that don't feel like a place to live. It's town where people are coming to relax, spending the weekends and holidays. Yevgeny managed to get himself on a plane to Ireland. Ireland is not a bad place to land. It's generally very friendly to persecuted people especially in some ways to LGBT people. The prime minister is gay. The country held the first successful referendum on same-sex marriage. And there are definitely worse places to apply for asylum than Ireland. For example, in the United States, you might end up in detention and you don't qualify for any public assistance. But Ireland has one of the slowest asylum processes in the world. To somebody who is stuck in the process, it can feel just interminable. Yevgeny is living in what's called direct provision, which is this network of hotels and hostels and former convents, which are run by private companies, but um, funded by the state. He has a small room with a single bed. He gets three meals a day. He can't cook. He cannot have overnight guests, which means that Alexander can't come and spend the night with him. Alexander is not in Ireland with Evgeny. I would go wherever he is, right? But I'm just a citizen of Russia. I have to get a visa to any country I, I want to go. The thing is, if they were a straight couple who had been together for 15 years, they would probably be married, and there probably wouldn't be a question of whether they're seeking asylum together. As it is, they had to consider whether Alexander had a case for asylum. And they also had to consider what it would mean for neither of them to work. Right now, Alexander has a temporary teaching position at the university in Helsinki. Every time he visits Yevgeny in Ireland, he has to get an Irish visa, which is a fairly arduous process. And both men say that it's not clear when or how they'll be reunited. It's been more than a year, and so we both are waiting and waiting and waiting. And you want someone who's been with you 15 years right beside you, and you cannot have it. And we don't know what future is bringing us. I just can't visualize the future. I can't see it. What, what do you think is preventing you from imagining the future? Tiredness. I'm very tired. You know this feeling? To wake up tired. After sleeping 10 hours, you wake up and you're tired. This is the type of tiredness I have. Yevgeny is taking a course at the university in Galway because he felt a depression coming on. He spends every day in the library. He leaves the hostel in the morning. 
He reads and he writes until the library closes at 10 o'clock at night. I met other queer migrants in Ireland. I met people from South Africa, from Zimbabwe. The thing is, in some ways, it's becoming harder for LGBT asylum seekers to find a place in the world. Many countries don't grant asylum on the basis of persecution because of sexual orientation or identity. The United States is one of those countries, but it's getting harder and harder to get into this country to seek asylum. And that possibility of getting refuge is actually narrowing just as the world is becoming more polarized in the treatment of LGBT people. So in some parts of the world, we're seeing incredible advances in LGBT rights, including really striking ones like India. In other countries, we're seeing a horrifying backlash. Kenya's highest court recently upheld a ban on gay sex. A new law in Brunei has made gay sex punishable by death by stoning. So even as global culture is pulling more people out of the closet, when the culture becomes more repressive, there's no closet to go back into. So people end up really exposed. I found myself in a sense of nullified belonging. I don't belong to any country. I don't belong to any ethnic group, any, anything. Actually, my only diaspora is a queer LGBT diaspora. That's where I feel that I'm part of this queer nation. This is my diaspora. That's Masha Gessen in Galway, Ireland, with Evgeny Storn. <laughs> 